You are listening to The Industry Edit. Hello and welcome to episode number two of The Industry Edit, hosted by myself, Ezrin Benison. The Industry Edit is a fortnightly podcast that aims to talk to entrepreneurs, creators, industry professionals who fall under the umbrella of diversity. We'll discuss everything from issues to trends and exciting projects, hopefully making for a really interesting and informative listen. I hope you enjoyed our debut episode of the Industry Edit a fortnight ago. Um, The responses have been amazing and I'm so glad that you guys are enjoying it and really getting something out of the podcast, which is the main reason we started this in the first place. Um, I know SoundCloud is a bit of an annoyance for some people. Um, We are going to try to get it onto iTunes and continue to try. And if there's a will, then there's a way and we shall have it on iTunes eventually. But um, I don't know how you're listening to the podcast at the moment, but if you did not know um, and SoundCloud is bothering you, you can listen to the podcast via the browser. So simply just go onto the podcast section of the Industry Edits website and you can play the podcast directly through the browser, which Um, will hopefully help those of you that find SoundCloud not convenient. So definitely do try it that way. On today's episode, I'm joined by the incredible Chichi Nwanaku OBE. Thank you so much for taking the time to be on the podcast. Chichi is a double bass player and professor of historical double bass studies at the Royal Academy of Music. Chichi was also a founder member of the Orchestra of the Age of Enlightenment and has now founded her very own orchestra, Chinike. Chinike supports and encourages black and minority ethnic classical musicians working in the UK and in Europe. The foundation shares a very similar ethos to the industry edit, which is why I was so eager to get you on the podcast. And this ethos is to champion diversity and change, particularly in the classical music industry. Chichi has a fountain of knowledge and experience, and we are honoured to hear all about it. I've given a very brief overview, but I'd love to hear more about your classical music journey. Well, I was one of those children that, if I was that six-year-old today, I'd put, they'd be dishing out the ADHD tablets to me because I was one of those children that was fascinated by everything that was going on outside the classroom as well as inside the classroom. I hungered for knowledge. I was excited by life itself. And I wanted to know about everything. And one day, the teacher in the classroom asked if anybody wanted to join the recorder ensemble, and my hand was up before she'd even finished the sentence. I loved 
playing on the recorder. It was just this little stick with holes in, little wooden tube or plastic tube. But I was fascinated by what I got back from it, which um, when I did, as I was told, and all little girls like to, you know, get it right, don't they? They like to do the right thing a lot of the time. And the whole thing about coordination with, you know, if I covered the holes properly on the recorder, my thumb and all my fingers, and then took a breath and blew down this instrument, then I would get a sound. And, and if I moved one of my fingers off one of the holes, I'd get a different sound, a different pitch of sound. And I realised immediately that this was something, you can almost have a conversation with it or tell a story with it. And we've, we'd always had music at home, singing and dancing, and, and, but we didn't have any instruments at home. And so I was fascinated by what one can do with something so small. Yeah. And I very quickly got the, to grips with it because I was just very good at responding to physical instruction. I've got good coordination. And the great thing about learning an instrument, learning music, it's so good for your brain. I mean, you don't think about that when you're a six-year-old, <laughs> you know, but I was just getting on with it. And and the thing is, you know, with hindsight, I know that it's good for your brain because of all, all of the aspects of things that you can develop, it's the, they found that it's the only thing that you can study that uses both sides of the brain at the same time. Um, and of course, music, the left side of the brain is the creative side of the brain where, and that also encompasses empathy, emotion, feelings, expressiveness, yeah. etc. The right hand side of the brain is what is used for order, organisation, discipline and that's reasoning and that sort of thing. But you have to use both of those sides of the brain to play an instrument. The other thing, the other thing that you know, the left side of the brain, you know, with this whole thing about learning an instrument, you learn how to listen. Yeah. Listening is something that's not taught or learned in virtually any other subject. You know, you can be really good at maths or science, but you don't have to know how to listen to people in order to get on with the science. Yeah. If you see what I mean. So it's a very good subject to learn, and I see the results of some of my Chineke junior. I've got to create an orchestra called Chineke, um, and some of the, the teenagers who are doing their GCSEs, they're just getting very, very high results. Yeah. And I know that learning a musical instrument, even if you're not going to become a musician, it's good for the rest of your life, it's good for other subjects, yeah. because you learn these other skills. and. I mean, learning maths doesn't teach you how to listen, doesn't teach you how to coordinate, doesn't teach you how to, you know, you just learn about maths. Yeah. I think that's uh, a really interesting. I've never thought about music like that. I've, you've always kind of thought, oh, here's your sheet of music, you know, you're going to learn this and then play it. But you actually don't realise, for someone who doesn't play an instrument, um, how much has it's, to go into yeah. it before you can produce a sound. There's, it's that was really interesting. I never yeah, you know with, with, within wind instruments you have to you have to breathe in an in mm -hmm. in advance of the time that you want the note 
of music to sound. So there's the, the breathing coordination, yeah. and then the articulation with when you make the sound, whether you want a soft articulation, a hard articulation, whether it's a long phrase where you've got to hold the breath for a long time or short notes, yeah. and you know all that sort of articulation. And with the bow, with the stringed instrument, you know, you're doing the same sort of breathing with your gesture before you put the bow on the string. Mm. So there's all that timing that's involved. Yeah. And so, you know, and you've got your the heartbeat going, you've got you've got pulse, you've got rhythm, you've got expressiveness in the music you're playing. So it's emotional. There's so much going on that yeah. people take for granted. And the thing is, today, so it doesn't surprise me that you say that you had no idea it was, that so much is involved. <laughs> Because we live in a consumer society, you can yeah. you can just press a button and you'll just get music, any kind of music you want, and you don't have to appreciate what goes into making a musical sound. Yeah. But it's an incredible lot of um, kind of technique and perseverance. Mm -hmm. Perseverance is something that you learn from learning an instrument, you know, because you've got to persevere to try and make your instrument sound good yeah. and sound in tune yeah. and in time. Yeah. And, you know, when you're playing together with other people, you've mm -hmm. got to listen so that you play together with them, yes. not just out with them. It, 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 it involves so much teamwork as well as individual work. When did you realise all of this? Did you, because as a six-year-old, as you said, you this wasn't when you realised it, but when did you kind of get that understanding that there's so much more that goes into it that a lot of people just don't don't know. Well, I think one of the things that struck me right at the very beginning is that not only, you know, I mean, I was used to sitting in the class with all my class friends, and this was like a hobby thing to do, a club at the school. We did it in the lunch break or something. And those who were interest, interested came along. So we're in this classroom. Right from the get-go, we had music parts on a music stand so the, these dotted things these these notes that look which i now know are musical notation so right from the beginning we were following those dots we learned how long each one lasts okay. you know if it was a crotchet a single note or a quaver or a minimum they all last different times and some things are in four four time or three four time or two two time or six eight and different rhythms and learning this thing together it's it was an unusual thing to learn in the beginning and then gradually became instinct instinctive mm -hmm. and not only were you learning these new skills about you know reading music as well as producing a sound from an instrument at the right time in the right pitch and everything, everything. you're doing it with with your friends and so it was teamwork right from the start because you all wanted to play the tune whether it was twinkle twinkle little star or you know half a pound of tuppany rice nursery rhymes or whatever it was we're playing you, you need to play it together and you start to hear and the other fascinating thing about it is that there was some kind of communication and language going on but it didn't involve words and so right from the beginning, one is able to communicate. What inspired you to create Chineke? I'd had a career that had spanned already 35 years, and I was always the only person of colour within the orchestra. It wasn't something that preoccupied me, because I was used to it, I suppose, because right from leaving school and being involved in classical music, and I have a white mother and a black father, but I 
went into the classical music world, you know, having left a girls' grammar school that was, I was one of two people of colour at the school, I was, I didn't think anything about it. I was just getting on with something I loved. Yeah. And as the years ticked on, I was aware that I was a little bit of a, seen as a bit of a novelty. You know, I didn't think I was a novelty, but I was being perceived as one. You know, I was this exotic exotic um, person within an orchestra. I'm only five foot tall. I've got I've got hair with attitude. <laughs> I'm mixed race and I'm female and I play a double bass. And all of these things are often perceived to be, for example, double basses. When I was at the Royal Academy of Music, people said, you know, and a tutor actually said to my parents, she won't have a career because she's playing a man's instrument. And you see, there was the whole gender thing going on in the 80s. And that was in the late 70s, early 80s. And, you know, when I graduated from the Royal Academy of Music in 1981, there were no females in the London Symphony Orchestra. Not a single person of the, the female sex was in the London Symphony Orchestra. And I left the Royal Academy of Music, which was 50-50%. It, it felt as though it was 50-50% men and girls and boys. And I remember thinking... Why are some of the orchestras only made up of men? Why are they not using half of the talent that is in this country? So that the seeds started sowing then, mm. but that was more about gender. And I think I was just, I just, I was just getting on with the whole thing about ethnicity. I just didn't address it. And because I was always the only person of colour in whichever orchestra I played in, um, there was no one with with whom I could have a conversation about it with on a really sort of camaraderie sort of way where someone might know what I might be feeling or thinking or, you know, did I fit in? I didn't know. And but I, I know that there was always a slight feeling of wanting to fit in, even though I was very much immersed in the world of classical music. After about 35 years, I got... I started being called in by the previous culture minister, Ed Vasey. He was the culture minister to David Cameron in the Conservative Party. Yeah. And he called me in a few times to talk to me about it, saying, Chichi, you know, why are you the only person of colour that we ever see on the international concert platform on a regular basis? And I said, well, that's a good question. But, you know, when you see me walking onto a stage, I'm, I'm on there because I'm doing my job. I've never defined myself by the colour of my skin. I don't know why I'm the only person of colour on the stage. But now that you're talking about it, actually, I'd be quite interested in finding out why as well. And then when did you realise that this needs to go from an idea to actually forming the orchestra that it is? Great question. Well, it was in 2014. I was going to hear a concert performed by the Kinshasa Orchestra from the Congo, who were performing at the Africa Utopia Festival at the Royal Festival Hall in September. And I was walking from Waterloo Station to the Royal Festival Hall, and guess who I fell into step with? Ed Vasey, the culture minister. And he said, I guess you're going to the same place I'm going to. And I said, yes, we probably are. I probably am. So he said, come with me to the reception. So, re so it's a reception for the Kinshasa Orchestra, reception held by the South Bank Centre. I said, well, I haven't been invited to the reception. He said, doesn't matter, you're with me, so you're coming. So I said, fine. So... We went up to the sixth floor and as we were going into the reception and greeted by 
the head of music at the South Bank Centre, Gillian Moore, who I've known for years. As she was greeting us, we said, we, you know, we said hello, and she put her hands across her face and looked as though she was in shock. So we both thought that was a bit of a strange greeting coming from her. And and um, Ed Vasey said, well, you know, she, she, she's, I, I brought her along as my guest. And I, and I said, look, Gillian, I, I know you haven't invited me. I know I'm not on the guest list. And and she said, no, 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 no. It's She said, A, you should have been on the guest list. And I'm really embarrassed that I didn't invite you. I'm so pleased that you're here. But B, look over there. Which, and she asked us both to look over into the outside of the room. And a friend of mine, who's a very well-known violin, English violin soloist, a white English violin soloist, called Tasman Little, was talking to the great big BBC television camera. So I said to Jenny, oh, oh, T Tasman seems to be doing an interview with the BBC. And Gillian said, yes, but what does Tasman know about Africa? And so that was a moment of silence between the three of us. And I could sense Ed Vasey thinking, yes, you know, because there was this situation, this concert was all about the Kinshasa Orchestra. They're making, the BBC are making a documentary and they're interviewing white people. But they hadn't thought to get the perspective of someone from that beautiful dark continent. So my response to Jill, Gillian then was, don't worry, Gillian. We are used to this. You have been telling our stories for hundreds of years. And I said, we'll talk about this later. I'm here to hear the concert. So let's not talk about it anymore now. And she was saying, oh, but they, 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 they should be interviewing you. I said, look, Gillian, you didn't even invite me to the reception. So let's leave it for now, shall we? Just think about it. And so I went on, went downstairs to hear the concert. And then I came back in the interval to the reception. I was still the only, not only that, but I was the only person of colour at the reception. And this was all about the Kinshasa Orchestra, this concert. Shocking, shocking. Mm -hmm. That would not happen today. So I noticed there were some white people on the stage as well with the Kinshasa Orchestra. And that was because the BBC would make, the, the conditions for them agreeing to make a documentary was on the grounds that there was some white involvement, some players from the UK. So they had a few players from the BBC orchestras, a few from the Halle Orchestra, based, which is based in Manchester, and a few from the National Youth Orchestra. Um, and they wanted to make a documentary so that it looked, so that it showed the English players giving classes and helping the African players. And actually, I mean, I, I thought the documentary was okay, but I certainly heard from members of the Arts Council who funded that documentary. The Arts Council said they were not very happy about that documentary because it looked quite patronising. Because they they would they kept flashing back to Kinshasa to sort of, sort of you know, um, slums. And then they pan back to the UK showing, you know, a white player showing a trombonist how to do something with his trombone as though in those five days everything they learned was from these white English players. I found it, you know, yeah. potentially very patronising. Um, and so I looked around at the audience during this concert of, you know, the Kinshasa Orchestra and their choir playing music from 
Beethoven's Symphony Number no. 9 and Berlioz's Symphony Fantastic. And I was looking at the faces of members of the audience, some of who were from the top end of the music industry. And they had this look of incredulity on their faces as, the, as though, you know, to see all those faces of colour playing Beethoven and Berlioz so, to such a high standard was something unusual. It was a shock to them, a surprise. And, you know, as I left that concert, as I walked that walk back to Waterloo Station, I looked to my right, I looked to my left and I thought, it's me. I've got to do something about this. That's why Ed Vasey was calling me in yeah. to talk about it because he knew the kind of spirit I have. And I just thought, it should not, this is the 21st century, it should not be a novelty that more than one person of colour is playing Beethoven on, in an orchestra. So, uh, you know, it, it should, it's it sort of, it just put the fire in, into, my, into my belly, actually. Yeah. That was a Sunday evening. Monday morning, I was on the phone to everyone. I was phoning Sir Vernon Ellis, who was the head of the British Council. I was phoning government. I was phoning every single music conservatoire in the country. I was phoning the South Bank Centre. I was phoning the Barbican. Everybody knew about it, that I wanted to speak with them on Monday morning. And because they all know who I am, they said, should you come in? They all made appointments when the doors flew open. That's when I gave birth to Chineke <laughs> because I could see there was a gaping hole. And why shouldn't we see more than one person of colour on the stage? I'm so glad that, you know, Ed Vasey was pushing me because, of course, I could have done it alone. But at the time, I didn't know. And but I did know that I had government backing because Ed Vasey had been banging on to me about this. How do we change people's perceptions? Because it's not that, as you said, it's not that we're not in the industry or we're not um, great players, because a lot of people who are black and minority ethnic are really good players, but they're just not involved in the orchestra or they're just not seen in the industry. The whole purpose of Chinike when we launched it. And one of the things I said in, when I was talking to people in interviews and things, that it is vital that we change perceptions because until we change perceptions, we can't get systematic change. Yeah. And so our very first two concerts were strictly black and minority ethnic. One of the things that Ed Vasey said to me was, you know, he was thrilled when he heard that I was actually going to do something. <laughs> thrilled. He said, keep it black, just make it black, Chichi. And I said, I'm not going to do that. It's going to, because he meant just black African and Caribbean. And I said, no, this has to be the underrepresented in the industry. Because otherwise if they're going to, I'm not siloing us off into another, into, they'll be, we'll be seen as a ghetto. Yeah. of some sort so we've got bangladesh we've got india we've got sri lanka we've got pakistan we've got iraq we've got iran we've got all the different caribbean islands represented and lots of mixtures of african countries um all represented so we amongst us in the very first concert we had 62 musicians on the stage 31 nationalities were involved i'm of course i count as three Nigerian, Irish, English, and there were lots of mixtures, you know, 
all of us had been class classically trained in Western classical music to a very high level. No two of us have played played together on a regular basis. We are all, with the exception of the Kenny Mason family, we are all this only one in our orchestras or in our region. So our very first couple of concerts were strictly BME because I just needed to get that image out, get the status quo addressed, just to say, look, look at all of us and what we can do. Because people of colour have a reputation for not being able to organise themselves and not be able to do things as a team together. For example, we've got, you know, there's terrible stereotype, yes. stereotypical thoughts about how people of different ethnicities are. For example, there's this thing about black people's time or Africa time, they call it, where, you know, people turn up late, uh, are perceived as just always being late. I was very, you know, you were early today, <laughs> which is a good sign. Um, and because you can be prepared, if you come running in late for something, you're out of control. If a rehearsal starts at 10.30 in the morning, you don't turn up at 10.30. The, the music, the conductor starts conducting at 10.30. By 10.30, you should have arrived, taken your coat off, unpacked your instrument, tuned it up, warmed up, and be sitting in position ready to start the rehearsal at 10.30, okay? And so that's, you know, and the thing is, I have seen examples of a regular white musician turning up late for a rehearsal, and they all say, oh, that's Jane, she's all, oh, she's just late, she's had a bad, bad journey in today. And then you, the next day, a black cellist turns up late and they say oh that's black people for you they tar the whole lot of us with one brush so only we can change that perception only we can change people's ideas of us by how we behave we can't change the status quo we can't change perceptions until we change ourselves we can never be late because if one person's late, they say that's black people. Yeah. If one white person's late, they say, oh, that's Jane. Yeah. They don't say the whole of white people are late. Do you see what I mean? That's yeah. the difference. And so therefore we are always on an uphill climb with this yeah. situation. The other thing is that after the first two concerts, making a statement, we certainly changed perceptions because the standard was so extraordinarily high. From the, after the second concert, the, my door, the doors are open. Yeah. So you will see China, Chinese, you will see Vietnam, you will see Japanese, you will see Bulgarian, Italian, Kazakhstan. You know, we've got, if you saw our prom, concert yeah. last summer we were, the, we were the we were the first we were the youngest orchestra in existence to be given a bbc prom we were less than two years old you know i mean it's not unheard of yeah. and, and then as soon as that happened bbc tv said right we're televising this <laughs> and it went viral it did. and um I, there were eight white faces on that stage of 80 75 musicians eight of them were white that's important now because 
of course there are some naysayers who just think we're being they've actually said to me are you being racist chichi <laughs> and i say um actually i'm glad you've asked me that question because well, clearly some people think that i might be being racist by having this chinaki orchestra do you ask yourself the same question when you look at the london symphony orchestra or the london philharmonic orchestra or the Halle Orchestra, where you, oh, there's one black face in the Halle Orchestra, or the Royal Liverpool Philharmonic Orchestra. When you look at those orchestras, do you think they're being racist? No, you don't. And I've never grown up thinking they're racist. That's been the status quo. Yeah. So why is that correct? And why is it a problem for you that there's an orchestra that looks like Chinnike? Why does it suddenly ring your racist alarm bells? Let's just talk about that. Let's just have that conversation. And, you know, a hundred years ago this year, women were throwing themselves under horses and losing their lives and chaining themselves to railings to campaign for equality, to get the vote, to have a say in their destiny, in their lives. Women had to do that to get equality for women. Men were not campaigning to get the equality for the women. Yeah. So do you get what I'm talking about? Yeah. We have to do this yeah. in order to push for equality for people of colour and ethnicity. And, and you know, we never say that the industry's racist. We're not, we're not saying that, but just have a look at it and you decide for yourself. Yeah. Just look at every single orchestra in the country. And I think there's 1.7% of people of ethnicity playing in the orchestras. Excuse me, that is not representative of the statistics of this country. When I went to have my meeting with the South Bank to tell them what I had in mind, that very first week yeah. that I told you about, when I just, the penny had dropped, I saw the issue during that experience at the Kinshasa concert where A, I hadn't been invited to the reception, B, there were no people of colour reception. C, the BBC were only doing an inter interviews with white people. It was like, okay. D, the expressions of incredulity on the audience's face, looking surprised that there are all these people of colour playing well, playing very well on the stage. So I had my first meeting. In fact, it was with Gillian Moore, same person at the South Bank, head of music. And she was virtually in tears. She said to me, Chichi, we've waited years for you to come forward with an idea like this. It needs to be led by one of your own. And I will be telling Jude Kelly, who, was the, who is the artistic director of the South Bank Centre. Then I had Jude Kelly on the phone, come in tomorrow, had a meeting with her. We are going to launch you. Suddenly, we've got a launch concert at the South Bank Centre. So... And the rest is history, really. We had lots of interviews and BBC News gave us visual interviews. And so what was extraordinary was, well, of course, our concert sold out. We're very, very, very exciting. <laughs> yes. We didn't know if anyone was going to come. I didn't know because it was an unheard of orchestra. Yeah. You know, I, The Guardian had interviewed me, The Times had interviewed me, The Independent, everyone, you know, and radio and TV. And they were all interviewing me. And... I, I knew it sold out, but I didn't know who was coming. I didn't know what the audience was going to look like or sound like. They might be all there to boo at us. You know, you don't know, do you? 
and that I my my heart is always open when I walk onto a stage. I walk onto stage open-minded, ready to give, and let's have a great time in this room together. Yeah. That's what we're there for. And we walked onto the stage to deafening sounds of cheers and clapping and roars and the most incredibly noisy standing event I've ever <laughs> experienced in my entire career. It was very emotional. Yeah. We all come on together and with the conductor. We don't the first we don't then sit down and start tuning up. I insist that the first sound that anyone hears in the audience is music. Let us be judged by our music. Yeah. Nothing else. We had five stars in The Guardian the following morning, you know, as, as we received in our, in our, for our prom last year. Um, and the prom headline was priceless. It said something like, possibly the most important concert in the history of the proms. Doesn't get much better than that. <laughs> I'm not arguing with that. And um, so it was a very, very special occasion that I will never forget. And everyone, and but the most wonderful thing on top of all of that, when I, you know, because we, as we're all coming off the stage, we all stay standing and facing the audience, embracing the audience until the last person's on the stage. And then and, and the conductor leads the bow. We all follow the conductors. So we all bow, the whole orchestra bows. The audience looked like London. It looked like England. It looked like the community that I live in. Yeah. Because I had, you know, it, all these things were hitting me with force in the first few moments of the birth of Chinaki Orchestra. Because I, you know, it was so emotional for me. And, and of course, I mean, I had put a lot of work into creating the orchestra, finding all the players, etc., choosing the program, choosing the solo, you know, cho choosing everything, the conductor. Um, but to suddenly see an audience that was not like anything I'd ever seen before in my life. I realised we were doing something important. And of course people of colour can sit through a Beethoven symphony. Of course they can sit through a Brahms of Schubert, Tchaikovsky, as well as, you know, what's perceived to be the kind of music that black people like, you know, reggae, funk, hip hop, R&B, grime, etc., which is all wonderful music. But we are broad people. We can also appreciate and perform to a very high level, world class level, classical music. Yeah. But having spoken to many people afterwards, I, I was thinking, where have all these people suddenly come from? Why have I never seen them before in the audience at concerts that I've done? I've, you know, I practically live at the South Bank. It's my second home. It turned out that many of the people in the audience were people who'd never even stepped inside the South Bank Centre before, let alone buy a ticket and go into one of the halls for a concert because their perception of those establishments are that oh they're not the people like me mm, oh i probably you know i've been told I, it's not my sort of music i probably won't like that sort of music you know there are these awful perceptions dumped on different types of people and to see all those people in there who had never been to a classical music concert before let alone come into the south bank before and enjoy it because they felt represented on the stage 
and of course they can enjoy the music yeah, if it's any you can enjoy anything if it's well played and well presented those everyone left a foot taller <laughs> and empowered and the beautiful thing is that i know that a lot of those people who um, are going back to the south bank center to hear other concerts whether chinake is playing or not yeah so we've made a difference already and I'm really proud of that. And every single concert that we play, it's not interesting for me to have Chineke just um, ticking a visual box where I've got lots of beautiful brown faces of every shade yeah. on the stage. We have to be represented off the stage as well, and also in the music that we're performing. Yeah. Who has written that symphony? Who has written that piece? Yeah. You know, we're not just you know we're not just here to be looked at, and uh, we're here to be reckoned with, and and listened to, and enjoyed, and shared, and you know. So from board to management to the music we play, to the people on the stage, front stage, backstage is diverse yeah and i'm sticking to that it's amazing uh, that was one of the questions that i was going to ask you so you've already oh sorry no, i took the words okay. out of your mouth no but it's it was really interesting because it flowed in nicely with the previous question but i was just and you've touched on this as well when did you initially realize there was a lack of diversity in the classical music industry because i was talking to my sister about this and she's really into classical music but she didn't realize that it was kind of taboo for her to be listening to this um and she said people made comments but it just went over her head so my question to you is when did did you realise it? Well, I think this is one of, the, one of the things, and it doesn't surprise me that it sort of went over her head. That's yeah. like I had 35 years of that. Yeah. Where we have unbelieving, unbelievable coping strategies. If you think about what people of ethnic origin have been through over the centuries, over the last 400 years, it's like doing weight training. You know, when you pull you know your resistance training resistance training what does it do it makes you stronger yeah. makes you more resilient that's how we have become and not to say, that's a good thing we have to do that in order to survive mm. but it's not a good thing if we're on the, on the defensive or or um if we are justifying ourselves we shouldn't have to do that so my final question is, if you had one wish for the classical music industry in terms of diversity and inclusivity, what would it be? That every single musical organisation in the country is held accountable for the action, positive action, that they are taking towards a more inclusive and diverse workforce, both on the stage, off the stage, and whose music they're playing. Thank you so, so much for taking the time. It was a real pleasure to oh, meet you and yeah. and to talk to you. And hopefully, you know, I mean, I've, I've got, I'm so enthusiastic about my industry and about music and about people being the best they can be, yeah. whatever they're in. 
and you can really tell like when you're talking about it you just light up and yeah that's, it's really nice to see that someone so passionate about just changing the industry but not for the sake like just doing it because this is the new modern thing yeah it's not tokenistic yeah it can't be so, it's, it's over if, if that starts yeah so it's so it's just so nice to see that it's just genuine you had this one moment where you're like no like i see that this person next to me isn't going to do it or this person i need to do it which is yeah. yeah actually you know some of the letters and emails i receive mm. after a project particularly after um there was a project last year where you know there were a few white people mm. and i got an amazing email from from somebody who'd been playing who said chichi you just don't realize how many lives you're changing yeah. because i know you set out with this initiative um chineke to change diversity you know to to create more diversity and inclusion um on an ethnic point of view but now that your doors are fully open and there are white people who who come and play in the orchestra as well she said i cannot tell you she said i i come she said she comes from a very poor working class white family and she found herself you know drawn to classical music and you get along so far because you're, because you're white and people think oh yeah that's white people white people do this but she said you know she's in her 30s i think now she's a, a freelancer on the professional uh, orchestral scene and she said that so often when she goes into orchestras she has this awful feeling that she does not fit in because of social standing because most people in the industry are white middle class and she's coming from working class and she feels that she does not fit in because of that but she said coming into chineke where there's all classes and all nationalities she said that she'd never felt more welcomed or at home anywhere in her life and being a minority in the chineke orchestra as a white person she just said i i felt happier than i've ever felt in my life isn't that incredible because i hadn't even given that a second thought because you know we chineke we are and in we are like an inverse mirror of the profession. So there's the, the LSO, there's Chineke. We're like an inverse mirror, but we're doing better on diversity because we've got six or seven white people in any given concert. So, you know, oh, and they're not all white English. They'll be Kazakhstan or Italian or Bulgarian or something or Russian or, you know, so it's so important. and. Of course we can play this music and play it together and play it fantastically. You know, a lot of barriers are barriers of the mind as much as barriers of, you know, people look for so many things to block you from doing things. It's nonsense. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Enough. <laughs> okay, so that is the end of this week's episode. Thank you again to you, Chi-Chi for inviting me to your home to record this episode with you. It has been an incredible experience and I've, I've thoroughly enjoyed talking to you. And thank you to you guys at home who are listening. Goodbye.